scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the living word of God for us today. Thank you, Scott. Take your Bibles and open them to the passage Scott just read, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Before we get into our passage, I, I have a little personal news to share with you that I cannot hold in. And some of you already know this, but Friday a week ago, our son Darden got engaged to the most amazing young lady. I've got a picture of the couple. Here's Darden and Jordan. Many of you know Jordan Smalling, Mike and Michelle Smalling's oldest daughter. This is a couple that grew up through Fellowship Student Ministries. They went to college, you know, all that. So many of you have prayed for them and uh, we could not be happier. I've got a picture of the Smalling and the Shadrach family. And I, I know many of you know Mike and Michelle, but in case you don't, you can see him. You know, Mike's sometimes on security. Uh, you see him around. And I, and I put that picture up there just, you know, you know my face, but you may not know theirs. And I want you to be able to give them condolences, even as you give us congratulations to the Shadrachs. You know, we, are, we could not be more excited. Uh, Michelle had asked a friend of, of Jordan's, Coley, to write something on the chalkboard. And I thought she just captured it beautifully at their engagement party with this chalkboard uh, drawing. And we'll always remember this, that this is Jordan's new, this is Jordan's new moniker, Shadrach, Meshach, and Jordan. So thank you for praying for them. You know, I know you've, uh, your, your uh, care for our family over the years has been tremendous. And your care for the Smalling family as they've been part of this body has been so good and rich. All right, I'm gonna ask you a question and I am gonna ask a few of you to answer it. So this is not private. This is, tell me your answer. It's a simple question. Uh, it's just, Point blank, you yell it out, okay? As Christians, why do we sin? Because we do. As Christians, why do we sin? Just yell some of those answers out. Why do we sin as Christians? <laughs> Say it again. Our human nature, why else? Feels good. Feels good, why else do we sin? We still have flesh. We still have flesh, yeah, why else do we, we why do we, sin? we're Christians following Jesus and we still sin, why? Adam, yeah, we could, we could go on and on. All of these are reasons why we, you know, we sin. Now, what the Bible teaches and what we're gonna land on and see today, and Paul has been making clear through Colossians, it's gonna come into super focus today, is those are the reasons we sin. But you could take all of those, and if you, if you, if you looked under them, you could trace them all back, and there's one sin underneath all those sins. I'll show you this in a moment. It's, it's this idea, when we sin, we actually sin twice. Every time we sin, there's the action. I, I just chose that. But behind that, there's, there's a sin that precedes the sin every time we sin. Now, rather than trying to explain that that sin, I'm gonna let you watch it be explained by one of the great movies of all times, Lion King. Uh, you'll see in a moment that I'm more of a fan of Lion King 1 than the documentary that was released called Lion King 2. That was, a bad, that was not good. 
but it, it, I, I like one, okay? I like the first, I like the original more, but here's a seminal moment in that, I mean, the whole, it, it turns, this is the seminal moment in the character arc and the story of the Lion King. I want you to watch this. I think you're a little confused. Wrong. I'm not the one who's confused. You don't even know who you are. Oh, and I suppose you know. Sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. Bye. Hey, wait. You know my father? Correction. I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. <laughs> He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. every sin, every harmful choice, every harmful attitude and foolish act is the sin of forgetting who you are. We for, you forget who you are. 
sin, then we sin. We've spent four months in Colossians, y'all. We're only halfway through. Why spend four months on two chapters? Because I can summarize those two chapters, but we had to go deep to, 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 to have it attached to us, in, in a sense. You are not who you were. You have a new identity. You are in Christ. That's your identity. He is in you. That's your identity. Christ in you is your identity. You in Jesus, is, that is your identity. That's why we spent those months. Because as Paul does in, in most all of his letters, he starts with the doctrine, then he goes to the practice. You gotta start with who you are before Paul even begins to say, now do this, do this, and do this. Don't ever get it backwards. Don't ever start over here with, I need to do this, do this, and do this so I can be this. No, the, the Bible is, God changes you. You are no longer who you were. Therefore, you will do these things. That's all of chapter one and two. Chapters three and four, Paul is gonna start saying, do this, don't do this. He's gonna begin to address these things. But remember, this is not like the legalists that Rob took, took us through the passage last week who were saying, you gotta do this and not do that, do this and not do that in order to have the fullness of Jesus. That's legalism, that's a false gospel, that's not true. Verses one to four of chapter three are the hinge verses in the book. And before Paul begins to really unpack his commands now in light of our identification, he packs so much into these four verses that relates to our identity in Christ. I mean, we can't, we can't unpack it in the time we have, and I hope you'll spend some time on your own with it. But I'll move through it um, in three parts, because I think this helps us put, it, put the pieces together, if you will, and so I'll repeat this a couple times. We're gonna look at a past reality. There's a past reality. We're gonna look at a present activity. There's something we do right now, and there is a future certainty, okay? Past reality, a present activity, and a future certainty, all tied to our identity in Christ. Now, if you have your little booklets, we've been marking and putting a box around the references to Jesus. And if you'll note in your booklet, and this will come up on the screen, just put a little box around. We've only got four verses, and yet we have five references to Jesus. Verse one, Christ. Verse one, the back part, where Christ is seated. Verse three, hidden with Christ. Verse four, when Christ, who is your life, and verse four, the end, you'll appear with him in glory. Y'all, truly, when, when we read that, we go, we, we just, it's four verses, there are five mentions of Jesus. I could close my Bible, put my notes away, and, and we could all say with one accord, this passage is about what? Jesus, you know, the whole thing, it's Jesus, and absolutely is. Now, we're gonna look at this reality of our identity in Jesus because it's all about Jesus, starting with the past reality. That's the first point. Look at verse one. I'm only gonna take the first part of verse one and then verse three. He says, if then you 
have been raised with Christ, past tense, verse three. For you have died, past tense, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is a past reality. When it says in our translation, if then, we need to interpret that not as a doubt or, 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 or Paul's questioning if you've been raised. If you've put your faith in Christ, this is a reality. Now, why do I know that? Because let's interpret that in terms of the context. And if we look at it in terms of the context itself, we, we've already read in chapter one and chapter two, he said, we were buried with Christ in 2.12. We were raised with Christ through, power, through faith in the powerful working of God. Verse 2.13, we were dead and God made us alive. See, this has already happened. So it's not if this has happened. Some of your translations, for example, the NIV will say, since you have been raised, and that's an appropriate translation. Y'all, it's stating the fact of our death and our resurrection with Christ. You've gotta go back to your moment of salvation. For those of you who've trusted Christ, sometime in your past, there was a moment when you believed that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again. And in that moment, we talked about this two weeks ago, in God's eyes, you were crucified with Christ, your heart was circumcised, your old self nailed to the cross. You were buried with Christ. You were raised with Christ. And when you're water baptized, you're picturing those realities, by the way. All of that is a past reality. He says, our life, verse three, is hidden with Christ in God. Again, we're, talking about, we're not talking about potentialities. We're talking about realities. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. What's this hiddenness? It's at least two things. Number one, think of it as safety and security. Safety and security. Think of it this way. Jesus said this in John 10, 28 and 29, and I think it reinforces what Paul's describing here and describes it in Jesus's words. Remember when Jesus was speaking of our eternal security, he said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So there's you who has placed their, your faith in Christ and you're in Jesus's hand, so to speak, anthropomorphic, right? Physical descriptions of God help us understand him. We're in Jesus's hand. And then it says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. So it's like, we're in Jesus's hand and Jesus's hand is in God's hand. Nothing will take you from that place. Nothing can. This idea of security. We're hidden with Christ in God. But there's a second aspect to the hiddenness, and that's this. There's a sense to which your life in Christ is hidden, concealed, so to speak, uh, to the eyes of the world. It's like, it's like you are hidden in Christ, but the world uh, we'll, we'll miss that. Those who don't know Christ and the world and its culture and values won't, won't be able to recognize that you're hidden in Christ, so to speak. And I'm gonna talk more about that in a moment, so we'll hold on to that. So there's this past reality, actuality, fact, okay? It happened. 
and the effects are ongoing forever. It never, not, it never unravels. This is a fact. And out of that, Paul talks about a present activity, okay? A present doing that we do. Notice verse one, the second part, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, here we go. Here's the activity. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So there's two phrases here and, and they're similar, aren't they? Seek, excuse me, seek the things that are above, set your minds on things that are above. To seek something is to pursue it. That's what that means, to, to go after it. There is a, an energy in the seeking, okay? So we're to seek what's above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then he says, set your minds on things that are above. Same phrase, and then he, then he qualifies it in this way, not on things that are on earth. Um, to set our minds uh, carries the idea of focus and concentration. So if to seek is that the movement of the energy then to set our minds is to focus and concentrate that. And by the way, if, as, a, as an aside, but a, we need to understand this. When we talk about wholehearted life in Jesus here at Fellowship, we are understanding that the heart is the core of who we are. And the heart is comprised of our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. And, and, and the whole heart is united and those are connected, integrated. The Bible is, is very clear that the mind has a, has a priority order, if you will, because it's with our mind, you know, it's with our thinking that we have to have right thinking that then leads to right behavior, okay? So it's not diminishing anything of emotions, desires, and choices, but we begin with the mind, and this is what, Paul, what Paul's saying here. You gotta, set, you gotta set your mind on things above, not on the earth. So there's a seeking and a setting. Imagine for a moment, you are getting ready to leave on a vacation that you have had planned for a year. Everything is packed. You've got 30 minutes to go out the door. And you notice, you can't find your phone. Someone was on the front row last service and they said, I did that. And I said, how was it? And they, they put their head down. Um, but I want you to think about that. What, so, so how would you go about finding your phone? What, would you seek it? I mean, would there be some urgency and energy? I think so. Uh, would you do other things while you're looking for your phone? I don't think so. See, that's the idea that Paul is saying here is that you, we're going after things above and only things above because this is what's most important. Think again about Jesus's words, Matthew 6, He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is this things above? Well, we know it's where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're not talking about uh, things like, like objects above versus things and objects on the earth. No, we're talking about the kingdom values of God. We're talking about that in contrast to the 
values and priorities of the world. We're gonna set our things on the things of God, Christ, his person and work. Now, I thought about how I might help you see this and, and, and I thought of this and this will help some of us. I, I don't know if you've ever done this, you've never ever gone to the mall and maybe gave this a whirl, but you know they have those those virtual reality things. Everybody go to the mall and go, oh, I want to try that. You know, so I've got this virtual reality set here that you put on your head. And um, I know it looks stupid. I'm asking not to take pictures. No <laughs> posting on social media. But um, so when you put on these virtual reality headset, you know, this is all I see. And so, so when, when this is my reality, I want you to notice something. Now, you see people do this. Like you walk by the mall and people have these on or you see someone on TV. It's, it's crazy because they're, you're watching them and they're, they're doing stuff like this. You know, and they're just about to walk off the stage. You know, they're just, their body, okay, is doing what their mind is seeing. What their mind is set upon is affecting their body. What Paul is saying here is don't reach for virtual reality. He's saying you need to grab ultimate reality. And you need to take the ultimate reality of the written word and the incarnate word, Jesus, and you need to seek and set your mind on it such that your life, you do weird things with your life that the world thinks, what are they doing? That doesn't make sense. That's that hidden part, see? Because we're living in ultimate reality. And I mean this with, with all compassion and the world is living in a virtual reality. It's not, ultimate reality is that which God has revealed. And so what is Paul saying? Seek the things above, set your mind on things above. Let the word of Christ be your focus. The word in scripture and the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus. Rob and I always say this, and I just want to keep exhorting us, and maybe in 20 years, we, all of us will continue to grow in this. You will not grow in your faith apart from regular time in God's word. It won't happen. You got to set it before your mind. Priority. There's a past reality. There's a present activity. And then... Um, there's the future certainty. Look at verse four, last point. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There is a future certainty. Y'all, 
He's speaking of Christ's return and that we will be with him. And, and, and of course, Paul says elsewhere, we will, we will see him because we will see because we will be like him. This is hard to, to, to imagine. But our, our future glory with Christ, y'all, is so certain that Paul actually speaks of it in the past tense, Romans 8. That we will be, that we are, he says, we are glorified. You go, wait, we're not glorified yet. And he goes, well, no, not in time, but in principle and in fact, it's so certain that we will be like him when he comes. He speaks of it in past tense. Now, Paul's used a number of terms to describe our identification in Jesus, hasn't he? I mean, through the book, and he will continue. Christ in you, you've been filled in him. In you, you were, in him, you were circumcised, having been buried with him. God made you alive together with him. Your life is hidden with Christ. And yet, when I look at verse four and I see those three words, it's like my mind exploded. What three words are you talking about, Lloyd? Look at verse four. When Christ, who is your life? Four words, <laughs> not three. Who is your life? Oh, wait, wait. No, no, my life's my life. No, Christ is your life. That's a fact that's grounded in this past reality. Christ, who is your, is right now, he is your life. Let's take in all those statements in him. He's in you, he's your life. We often say of someone, you know, her children are her life. Or, you know, um, his family is his, his whole life, his family. Or, you know, her careers, her whole life. Or, you know, their marriage is their whole life. You know, their children, that's their life. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're just, their grandchildren, it's their whole life. You know, we could go on and on. We just pick these things out. And none of those things are wrong. And when we say it, what we're saying is their whole heart all that they have and are is consumed by and focused upon that. And this is one of the most precarious lives we could ever live. It is fraught with an unbearable pain and disappointment and hopelessness. I'll explain it. You know, one of the things Lisa and I tried to do with our kids, not super early on, but boy, when we were beginning to understand our hearts and the gospel, we, we, we really tried to communicate and, and, and in words and life to, to our children, you're not the center of our lives. I love you. You're not the center of the family. Even to a spouse to be able to say, you're, you're not my life. Here's why I say this is a precarious place when, we, when our life is in those things. If your life is in anything that sin can break or death can take, you are in for disappointments and losses you may never recover from. Spouses die. Some of you have buried children, buried grandchildren, 
Disease does not discriminate. Friendships unravel. Companies go bankrupt. Ministries collapse. And death will come to every person looking at me. And the point Paul is making and I'm trying to help us see is whatever you choose to make your life, it must pass this test. Can sin break it or death take it? I want you to think about your life. What's your life? My life is this. Well, let me ask you this question. Can sin break it? Can death take it? If the answer is yes, you've not landed on that which is worth your life. I'm gonna save you the Google search as if there was one for this because you and I know what the answer is. There's only one thing that sin can't break and death can't take. And that is your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Sin can't break it because he took care of that on the cross. Death can't take it because he rose from the grave. And until you and I land on that place where Christ, who is my life, we leave ourselves exposed to tremendous the, the pain's coming, but we leave ourselves exposed to tremendous hopelessness. That is so heavy and so good. Because can I tell you this? When Christ is your life, all the other good gifts that God gives, they just get sweeter. It's not like, well, Christ's my life. I don't have enough for my kids. Are you kidding me? When Christ is your life, all of his gifts rise up in their beauty and glory. And it's like, this is, this is truly amazing. This is, God, you're so good. But when those things are your life, I assure you, we'll never touch the, the true gift and beauty of all the good gifts God gives. Okay, with that, I'm gonna invite the band out and we're gonna sing because we're gonna end with a, with a proper response. But before we do, I'm gonna ask you to consider a few things. Let me ask you this, in light of this past reality, this present activity and our future certainty, what is a choice that God may be inviting you to make right now? Not tomorrow, before you leave. I mean, we've sat under the word of God. We're not here to just be informed. We're here that God's word would transform us and God's word changes us as we live it. And there's something for all of us in the room. I'm gonna let you sit for a minute and ask the spirit to show you, God, what are you inviting me? What, what choice are you inviting me to make right now? What, what, what's something you're inviting me to trust you for, to choose, to rest in, to live from my identity? in Christ. Would you consider that for a moment, please?
Let's stand together. We'll lift our voices. I love that Carl and Nate, they, they do such a wonderful job of choosing those re responsive songs that reinforce our message. And I want you to pay attention when you come to this line, this stanza, because it is the message and we will sing it. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high with Christ my Savior and my God, one with himself, I cannot die. What a beautiful refrain. And the truth of this passage reflected our identity in Christ, one with him, we're in him. I cannot die, that's past. My future is appearing with him in glory.